a Podcast One production. A little disclaimer. I'm hopeless with money. I have it, then I don't. Now, approaching middle age, the concept of saving still eludes me. But I know one thing. Owing more money than you actually have is not a good thing, especially if you're a government, I would have thought. I'm Adam Peacock, and on Peacock Politics, I want to understand why Australia has so much debt. You know, when you're sitting in traffic listening to the radio or catch a glimpse of an article, Australia's debt is up to $500 billion. Australia's debt is spiralling out of control. What the hell does that mean? Who do we owe money to? Who owes it? Is there a person attached to this debt? And who is it owed to? Don't we print, therefore own, our own money? And who is this mythical creature that we owe all of this cash to? Now, these are pretty basic, basic questions. So I've got an expert to help me try and explain it all. My guest is Shane Wright, National Economics Correspondent for The Age and Sydney Morning Herald newspapers. He's covered economics in politics for over two decades. He will understand. He will educate me. Won't you, Shane? Well, fingers crossed. And let's hope that's what we get to by the end of the day. Okay, here we go. Let's get into it. A really basic question first up. What is debt? What is government debt? Government debt is, it's a bit like, it is a little bit like your mortgage. That is you, the government of Australia, the federal government and all the states owe money to somebody. And they owe that money because they're not getting enough money through the door to pay everyday bills. Or they're trying to invest money in, say, a new road, a new railway, like even a new swimming pool there in North Sydney, something like that. So to, to operate, you take on debt. And debt has been part of the federal government since it was created in 1901. It has been part and parcel of, say, the uh, Alexander Hamilton, the first Treasury Secretary of the United States. One of the campaigns he ran on was to start having debt to get a credit standard. Uh, for the for the new country. So he started borrowing back in the 1790s and the British government was paying off debts it had incurred from the wars against Napoleon 50 or 60 years later. Debt and governments go together like a good red wine and cheese. <laughs> but don't they give you a hangover? Well... Well, you can keep drinking and keep eating and you never get, you never have to worry about the hangover. But yes, in some cases, you get to that point where debt overwhelms a country. Um, one of the most interesting stories I tell when we talk about debt is the, uh, it was the dominion of Labrador, um, which they, the troops of Labrador and adjoining Newfoundland, I think it is, uh, fought alongside the Anzacs in uh, 1915 on the Anzac Cove along uh, the Gallipoli Peninsula. They fought as a separate country on the Western Front. But by the 1930s, uh, this small part of Canada, but which, which was a separate entity to itself, had so much debt, it actually had to join uh, Canada as a standalone province. So debt does matter for governments in some occasions. Okay. So there's... There's a lot to take in here, and I'm going to splinter <laughs> everything off. You weren't thinking we were going to end up in the Canadian province and uh, the World War One, did you, when you, you thought, let's talk about debt? No, it wasn't an area that I thought we were going to touch on, but, hey, that's the beauty of life. You, you, you start having conversations, you end up in places you didn't know how you got to, but you're happy you got there. And this, this is one of those instances. Just, yeah, I'm going to splinter off in various directions out of that first answer. Firstly, 
okay, everyone has debt then, but debt to who? Who owns the right. money? Okay. Private investors. So say you're uh, Adam Peacock Proprietary Limited. I want to, I've got some spare money mm. and the Australian government is selling debt, which means that they will pay me an interest, in, a little bit of interest on that debt. And so I think, right, I've got a spare, I've got a spare hundred million. Adam Peacock Proprietary Limited is doing really well this year. Got a spare hundred million. I will buy federal go- Australian government debt for the next, say, it's five years. So every year I will get a, a, an interest payment, and at the end of five years I'll get back my hundred million dollars. So you've got private investors who do that. Um, you have insurance funds do that sort of thing. Pension funds do that same sort of thing. They are looking for, and this is why they do it, Australia is one of, there's only two countries in the developed world that have never defaulted. They've never missed a payment on their debt. Australia and New Zealand are those two nations. So government debt is, um, when it comes to get to debt, is the most secure debt that you can get. So if you're Adam Peacock Proprietary Limited, I don't want to, I don't want to take on any risk, so I will buy some federal Australian government debt. Right at the moment, one of the weirder things, uh, and this goes to the situation that uh, all governments are finding, is that the Central Bank, the Reserve Bank of Australia, is also buying that debt. It's creating money by uh, Phil Lowe, the governor of the bank, is pressing a a keyboard and creating, uh, he's planning on creating about $100 billion over the next uh, eight months to buy Australian federal government debt and state government debt. He's trying to push down the interest rates on that debt. So, so you've got the private sector, you've got, say, people who are looking after retirement funds, you've got central banks, they are buying, they are the people who buy the debt. How cool a job would that be, by the way? What are you going to do? Oh, I'm just going to create $100 billion I know, with a, a click of a button. It's the sort of thing you could uh, sleep at night, you can <laughs> go to bed, you don't have to count sheep, you count how many billions you're going to create That's the it. next day. So is are these, when you talk about central banks and, and investors, are we talking people, you know, in Switzerland or in Europe or in America or whatever, right. they're actually owed money by our government? They are, but one of the bigger buyers uh, are Australian banks. When, you, when I talk about private, we're talking um, like hedge funds or, uh, or banks, commercial banks, investment banks. And so the, uh, the, the big four banks in this country are owed a little bit of, are owed a bit of money by the federal government because they've bought that to protect themselves. And there's also globally, after the global financial crisis, um, when a lot of banks were caught with not enough money to pay the bills, um, there's a club called the Bank for International Settlements. This Reserve Bank is a member of this club and they effectively control, they set the rules around how banks should operate and how central banks operate. And one of their rules was forcing commercial banks to buy more government debt. So they don't get so crazy by investing all their money in housing uh, because housing prices can go up and down. So they forced them to buy a bit more government debt. So yeah, commercial banks, um, American uh, pension funds, they are owed debt from the Australian federal government. Japanese retirement funds are in the same place. So yeah, anyone who needs to make a little bit of money in a safe way, they look towards government debt as one of their key ways to do it. But in that, how do 
they ensure that they're paid back. And what happens, say, if we can't pay it back? Well, we we scrub out the name Australia and become Argentina. Now, <laughs> Argentina and Australia had, you go back 120, 130 years, were amongst the, the five, six richest countries in the world. Okay. And uh, Australia and Argentina took very different ways in how they ran their countries. And Argentina, one of the consequences of that has been that they have uh, defaulted on their debts. They have not paid back their uh, creditors. And that is, you find the way, the way that that is recognised is that the interest rate on their debt is much higher than Australia. So at the moment, say, if I was to, to borrow or buy $100 million from the Australian Federal Government for three years, which is one of the, uh, one of the debt lines that they've got selling at the moment, I would be paying, I think it's, a, was it about 0.3, It's an extraordinarily low interest rate. But if I went to Argentina and did the same thing, I'd be paying 2, 3%. Now that higher interest rate recognises that there is a chance Argentina won't pay me back. So I'm taking more risk. This is the, you're looking at risk here. You're pricing risk. So when a credit rating agencies like S&P or Moody's downgrades a country, when you, we hear people saying, oh, we've gone from, a, we've lost our AAA credit rating. It's saying that there's, going from a AAA to a AA, there's been an increase in the chance that this country won't repay its debt. So what's the absolute consequence though? Because I know if I have a debt to say the bank on my mortgage and I can't repay it and I default, well, I'm sleeping on a park bench and the bank's got my house in there. They've got the keys to the house. Now, obviously that doesn't happen with the country. It's not like these investors come and say, well, we're going to take your country. Thank you very much. You go and live somewhere else. What are the actual material consequences of a country going into debt and not being able to pay back that debt? That's right. You're, you're right. And there's another big difference between you and uh, the country. The country can tax. So um, say Josh Frydenberg, the, the budget's gone to hammer and a hell and uh, we're, we can't repay the debt. He can actually tax Australians to help repay its debt. So that's one way that – that's why government debt and mortgages are a bit different. Um, the Reserve Bank, which it is doing right now, is printing money – to buy that debt. So you you could, in theory, get the central bank to start printing money. But we go back to, say, the 1920s and what happened to Germany when its central bank printed money to pay off all the war uh, debts that uh, the German government was facing at that time. But what's wrong with that? Because that seems like a pretty easy solution. That's what well, my eight-year-old kid says, actually. Well, why don't they just print more money and then we can all have money? Well, true, but the uh, Germans were finding that buying a loaf of bread was requiring... A, a wheelbarrow load of, of uh, Deutschmarks. It was very difficult. But now and we've it, got contactless payment, sure. That's <laughs> true. And it also <laughs> killed anyone who had savings. Like the value of their money just disappeared. Yep. So if you might, you might have had, say, your hunt, like the Adam Peacock Proprietary Limited, that 100 million actually could only buy two or three loaves of bread. So you get into an inflation issue. So it's like you get them. Cordial. It's like if you yes. water it down to a certain point, you, it stops tasting like cordial. Exactly right. It's just water at the end of the day. I feel so smart now. 
And the other way to do is what happens, and you saw this, what happened to Greece during the global financial crisis, the interest on its debt, because no one believed that Greece was going to repay its debt, went to double digit levels. It was 10 to 20%. So you could get debt. People might be prepared to take a punt, but you're go- the government is going to pay a really, really high interest rate to, to actually encourage someone to do it. So you again, you're into a trade-off saying, is it worth me taking more debt on? And the Greeks got into the situation where, oh, hold on, we're going to have to cut our spending. Now, there is a reason that Greece has gone through, from the global financial crisis, went through a depression. It didn't go through a recession. It went through a depression with uh, unemployment in the, the 20s for much of the population. So another trade-off, mass unemployment, mass anger with the, uh, the government by trying to repay your creditors. In Australia, how does government debt, and you can paint a picture about where it is in historical terms around about now and in the times that we live in, but how does it translate government debt to Australians and their everyday lives? Well, at the moment, the, the government owes, the federal government owes about $800 billion, which is the most in dollar terms ever. But you'd, like you'd, it's hard to compare, say, a billion dollars today with even a billion dollars from the 1980s. A billion dollars is worth, like a billion dollars from 1980 is worth far, far more than one from right now. So we measure it as a share of um, the economy, a share of GDP. So at the moment, our debt as a share of GDP is at its highest since Ben Chifley was the treasurer. Which now, was? Ben, Ch- ben Chifley was treasurer uh, at the end of World War Two. Mm. when we were fighting the Japanese, okay? And the Curtin-Chifley government made the decision, we will take on farm, we'll take on a lot of debt because we prefer that than having uh, Japan run the country and have mass slaughter. That was their trade-off. And they were able to pay that down and then the Menzies government continued to pay it down, but the circumstances were very different and this is how you get to paying down debt and it's a problem that Josh Frydenberg... Uh, is going to face and whoever follows Josh Frydenberg and whoever follows that person is going to have some issues that Chifley and Menzies didn't have to worry about. So if we have massive debt, like if our debt continues to climb, does the pressure on our savings and our bank accounts and our economic situation as individuals in Australia, does that go in the same direction or not necessarily? Not necessarily. And because even though we have ta- we, for Australia we've taken on record levels of debt, it's by global standards, it's very low. Like you go to Donald Trump, for instance, he had budget troubles even before the pandemic because he'd, he'd rammed through huge tax cuts that hadn't been funded by uh, cuts in spending elsewhere. They are looking at having debt to GDP of between 90 and 100%. So the American economy is worth 15 to $16 trillion. So that's the size of their debt. Um, you go through, as I say, you go through Greece, Spain, really high levels of debt. Italy is another case. Even Britain is another case where you're getting 70 to 80% of GDP. Australia and New Zealand are two countries with much, much lower levels of debt. So it doesn't necessarily translate into uh, you at home, not being able to put bread and butter on the table. It goes to the government and then it goes to how the government decides what it's going to do. Is it going to start repaying that debt in an aggressive manner? Now, if it did that, 
it would have to raise taxes and cut spending. Now, that would have an, an effect on your ability to put bread and butter on the table. Or it says, we're not going to worry about it. Interest rates are so low. We want to grow the economy, which will mean we'll get more tax, which will help us pay down the debt over a longer period of time. And that's where this government wants to head. Doesn't have the same sort of uh, impact on you at home putting bread and butter on the table, but your kids are going to be still paying off the debt through their taxes and maybe even their kids. So I'm just trying to still comprehend that the whole world, every single nation in the world sounds like it's in debt, including Australia. But when you hear politicians talk here in Australia, for instance, about economics, the term debt or deficit sounds like a fearful word and it's used with the idea of being a fearful tactic. Why is that if everyone seems so comfortable about having debt at government level? I don't know how comfortable every – like Josh Frydenberg, for instance, and a lot on the backbench of the Liberal Party at the moment – are seeing what's happening. And we, the government's on track to have debt over a trillion dollars within the next two or three years. There is a bit of disquiet on the backbench. There is disquiet inside, inside the Labor Party about just how much debt has been taken on. So at the start of the pandemic, uh, the government actually had to make a choice, taking on a huge amount of debt to put in programs like JobKeeper or the increase in unemployment benefits or raise taxes at the exactly wrong time. That was your, your choice or you took on debt. Now, at the end of the day, that is a, it, it's a no-brainer, right? We'll take on debt because it's so cheap and we keep people employed. We keep businesses operating. Uh, we, we're able to run a health system, which means people aren't getting sick. They're not dying in the streets from COVID. That's, again, it's, this is, it's budgets and spending are always about trade-offs. And that was the trade-off that this government took. And I think most people are pretty supportive of that trade-off right at this moment. But it's once you get beyond that is, right, we're back to the wine and cheese, the headache after the big night out. Right, we're going to sit here and think, how are we going to pay down this debt? The government actually hasn't got to that point yet because it's still worried about where unemployment is. The Reserve Bank uh, is saying it's going to keep its interest rates and official interest rates in this country are at 0.1%, which is the lowest ever. And they're saying, we're going to keep them there for the next three years. So that's telling you, right, money is absolutely cheap as chips for at least another three years. So we've got like a three-year window to work out how we're going to get the economy growing fast enough, make cuts in spending that won't hurt too many people to get the amount of debt down a bit. So with debt, it seems to be common practice almost it's like a given if you're a country you shall go into debt is there any country in the world that's not in debt no there's not one nation that has got, that exists without debt and put it this way say um adam peacock proprietary limited wants a, to expand its business but it doesn't have the money on hand to put up the shiny new building it has to borrow so you go to the bank to borrow money and you're able to build, put up the shiny new building, expand and make a profit. The same actually goes for a government. And th- we've mentioned Alexander Hamilton for those who've uh, seen the stage play or the movie. Haven't yet, but will. You've got to get around to it because it goes into a part about how Hamilton was one of the few people in the United States who understood that the way for the United States to build was actually to borrow money to expand, 
to expand its manufacturing sector, to expand its farms. And so he said, right, we've got to take on debt so we can prove to creditors overseas that we will repay our bills. And that's what he did. Like uh, George Washington and the United States are exceptionally lucky that you had someone in power who was prepared to go where a lot of the a lot of the uh, rural members of the United States said, "Oh no, you can't! You can't owe money to the bank." But Hamilton understood you have to you have to take on some debt to build and expand. And anyone who runs a business understands that. Anyone who runs a small business knows really well you actually need at least a little bit of debt to get the place up running, turn a profit, employ people. So debt is really critical to how not just modern economies but economies going back through the ages have operated. So back to your cheese and wine metaphor, it's not necessarily a good thing for you, but in a certain realm, it's not really a bad thing for you because it helps to, you know, give that level of comfort. I think the doctor would say in moderation. So in certain terms, debt as a political tactic, is it is it relevant still or is it oh, this across party lines, like no matter what side of politics you're on, you'll expect to cop a bit of heat about it and you just have to get on with it. There is, I, I think on both sides of the political divide, there is concern about the sheer level of debt. And it's because you don't know what's going to come next. So for instance, say in 2022, China says we don't need Australian iron ore anymore. Now, Australian iron ore is huge in terms of the budget, in terms of the economic uh, standard of living for most Australians because of all the revenue that uh, that iron ore brings in. If China did that, it would have a huge negative repercussion on Australia. Now, the federal government would have to respond probably in a spending way. Now, if they have to take on more debt on top of what it was already doing, then the making that trade-off, making those decisions on what to do becomes tougher. So... You go back to say the global financial crisis. The the Howard Costello government had taken uh, net debt, so not gross not gross debt, but they had some assets offsetting how much they owed into negative territory. That gave Rudd and Wayne Swan plenty of space to spend to protect the country from the global financial crisis. And there were three countries that did not go into a recession in that year, and that was us, South Korea, and Poland. It's a pretty exclusive club. And unemployment didn't get above 6%, a win from a policy perspective. But it meant we came out of the global financial crisis with $150 to $200 billion worth of debt. The government, uh, Tony Abbott said, we'll, we'll cut deficit, we'll cut debt. So you go to your political argument. Tony Abbott was very keen to get into debt and deficit, but deficit and debt continued to dog him. It dogged Malcolm Turnbull and it's going to dog Scott Morrison because the quantum of debt is just getting so much larger than what anyone had actually thought it would ever get to. Right. Okay. Now it's a bit clearer. I'm a lot more comfortable about the fact that it's okay to be in debt. Okay. It's not great, but it's, you know, like when I hear on the radio next time we're $5 trillion in debt, it's like, no, no, no. Shane told me it's okay. We'll manage it. It's just when it gets too large. Yeah, exactly. And and then it's actually finding that point. Yeah. When (laughs) when is it too big? Yeah, exactly. Or you're out the front of Baker's Delight with a uh, wheelbarrow full of 50s. Full of cash. This isn't really working. Anyway, (laughs) Shane, thank you for clearing some of that up. I do 
recognise, however, that in generations past, I do wish my family got into the business of buying debt from governments <laughs> around the world because it seems like it's a pretty profitable and uh, yeah, exclusive club, but something that's going to put your head financially. Oh, I think you've missed the boat there. Don't worry about it. Just yeah, yeah. Th- there are other ways to do your dough. Yeah, <laughs> I find those on a regular basis. Uh, Shane Wright, thanks so much for teaching us a little bit more about debt and why it's important to Australian politics as well on Peacock Politics. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks for that. Peacock Politics was presented by me, Adam Peacock, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Tina Matalov, sound production by Darcy Thompson, theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. <laughs>